Good morning. Uh, if you're joining us on, in, in, if you're watching this in the morning, or good day if it's sometime, some other time of the day, um, and happy Father's Day. We actually said this is a Father's Day message. We're celebrating Father's Day in South Africa today. So, yeah, um, happy Father's Day to all our fathers out there, spiritual fathers, natural fathers, uncles, those who are fathering children or not their own. Happy Father's Day. Hope you have a great day being celebrated. We love you, we appreciate you, you're important, you're critical, you're crucial, and we thank God for your lives. Um, yeah, and the title of my message today is Our Father, uh, in celebration of Father's Day today, and I'm trusting that God will speak to our hearts concerning uh, this revolutionary concept of our Father, who's really our Father in heaven. Uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful. And as your word goes forth today, thank you that you speak to us, that you bring freedom to hearts, that you bring healing to hearts, that you move us further along the line of being restored in our hearts concerning our identity, concerning all of these truths that I'm going to share today from your word. So Holy Spirit, would you fill my heart, mind and mouth with your words for your people? Would you take these words and cause them to bear fruit in the lives of the hearers? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so the title of the message, as I mentioned, it's Our Father. And um, I want you to just think about if you're a parent, you can think about a situation where you've been working for a long time in preparing something uh, that for your children that's going to really bless your children. And you're coming back and think about how you'll be feeling when you're wanting to tell them this. If you maybe you don't have children of your own, maybe you're wanting to bless somebody else's children or maybe your friends you've been working on something for them and you're coming and you're wanting to share this news that you've finally done this or you finally got this organized for them think about those emotions that you'll be feeling and and I want you to think about Jesus on earth where he'd been laboring he was born for a purpose and he lived this purpose and he died for this purpose and now he's resurrected and he's come back to life and the first person he sees in the garden uh, is Mary and so this is what he says to Mary that the first words that are recorded that Jesus is speaking to a person when he's risen from the dead and this is what he says to Mary he says but go to my brethren and say to them I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God Go to my brethren and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And I can almost feel the emotions that um, almost the intensity that Jesus must have been uh, communicating with her. He lived his life for this purpose. He, he died and he suffered. He suffered and died for this purpose. And he rose again. And so it's like he's saying, I've done it. This is, it's done. Tell my brethren, I'm ascending to my father. And now he's your father to my God and your God. Um, he's now our father. And I find it very fascinating and significant. I think that Jesus shared these words. The first words he shared were these words when he rose from the dead. Um, this earth shattering news. The first news he wanted his disciples to hear after he'd risen from the dead. And um, it was, and it still is, world-altering news. And so in the message today, I'm wanting to look 
a little bit more deeply into this concept of our Father, that God is our Father and what it means for us as believers. It was the most important news for Jesus to share with his disciples. It was what he lived for. It was what he died for. It was what he suffered for. It was the, the fulfillment of the Father's dream um, for, for him and for us was that um, his Father would be our Father too. And so I'm wanting to look at some truths that we find concerning this in the book of Ephesians. Um, Paul wrote this epistle primarily to believers at and around Ephesus and primarily to the Gentiles um, in this grouping of people. And this revelation that he was communicating with them was awesome. Um, the revelation and the truth that the Gentiles, now along with the Jews, were fellow citizens with the saints and were members of the household of God, that the Gentiles, along with the Jews, could call God our Father. They were, they were now made into to be one people, calling uh, God our Father. And this is really what the blood of Jesus paid for. The blood of Jesus play, paid for our reconciliation with Christ and uh, our reconciliation with, the, with each other, just like the, the Jews and the Gentiles were reconciled and they were reconciled to God as well. So we are reconciled in the body of Christ to one another and to God by the blood of Jesus. And as we read through the entire epistle, um, the entire book of Ephesians, we realize that understanding who we are and whose we are and where we are positioned is really critical because Paul, the Apostle Paul, he lays this as a foundation at the beginning of the epistle and then he builds on that throughout the book. So he it provides a foundation who who we are, whose we are, where we are, we are seated and then from there we learn how to walk. He begins to instruct the, the Ephesians, how they should walk and how they should live in, in everyday life and their marriages and their homes with parenting, um, spouses, children, uh, with, with, with each other in the church and also dealing with, with um, slaves and, and in the work sort of environment. So And then from there, once he'd instructed them on how to live, then he finished off the book of Ephesians talking about spiritual warfare. And you can see this progression of, first of all, we need to know who we are. We need to know whose we are. He's our Father. We are united with Him. We are united uh, together in Christ. Then we learn how we ought to live together, how we ought to live in everyday life. And then we can move on to talking about spiritual warfare. And so the first place we need to look at is, our Father. This God is our Father. And because of that, we see it in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And because of that, this is our identity. This is who we are. This is um, how we can love each other. This is the unity that comes as a result of that. And that is where I'm wanting to focus today in terms of the book of Ephesians. That portion, our Father, the, the news that Jesus was incredibly excited to tell his disciples about, the news that was the, the truth that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wanted the, 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 the people at, at Ephesus to come to an understanding of um, that we belong to our Father. He is our Father. And so we are one people. And that's really critical uh, before we begin to talk about how we live and how we, um, how we conduct ourselves in the church and, and doing spiritual warfare. So that's where we are today, our Father. 
and um, some truths that stem from God being our Father from the book of Ephesians. And the first scripture I'm going to read is Ephesians 1, uh, verse 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of, world, of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And so this applies to us if we are saved, if we've received Jesus our Lord and Savior and what He did for us on the cross. Then we can say this, we can claim this scripture. This is, this is for us. This is a promise for us. And so I'm starting in these four verses and I'm going to mine some spiritual truths from this. And I'm going to proceed um, to a number of other scriptures in Ephesians and look at about 10 different um, promises or truths or blessings that we have because God is our Father. And these are things that we can appropriate. These are blessings that we need to appropriate and, and, begin, and challenge ourselves to live in and live according to. And so the first truth that I'm wanting to remind us of or teach us or declare over us today is that we are blessed. Ephesians 1 verse 3, we are blessed. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So when we are born again, we are found in Christ, seated in heavenly places, and we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, just because something is mine doesn't mean that I use it. And so it's really important that we are aware of these blessings, that we be can begin to appropriate them. We can begin more and more to walk in them and walk in freedom in these blessings. And nine blessings that I wanted to mention, and some of them I'm going to touch on as truths uh, later on in my message, but he has blessed us. He has chosen us. He has predestined us. He has made us accepted. He has redeemed us. His grace has abounded toward us. He has made known unto us the mystery of His will. He has given us an inheritance in Christ and He has sealed us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And if you go to the notes, you'll find all the references for those particular blessings. But these are just some of the spiritual blessings. And all the promises and blessings in Christ are still for believers today. So there are so many blessings in Christ that we can access because we are believers. And I want to encourage you, even as I encourage myself, let's mine the word. Let's find out the promises that are for us. And let's make sure that we take a hold of those things for ourselves. Someone can bless me with a brand new car. It can sit in my garage um, if I don't know where the keys are or if I don't actually know that it's mine to drive. I need to get the keys, put the keys in the ignition, get in the car and drive it to actually um, access the benefit of it. And so many of these spiritual blessings and things that are available to us, we need to actually know that they are ours and take the keys and get in these blessings and drive them and own them for for whose they are, they are, they've been given to us. So that is the first truth that I'm wanting to encourage us regarding that we are blessed. The second thing is that we are adopted. 
Ephesians 1 verse 5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We belong to a family. We have a father, our father. He is our father. You are not fatherless. You are not alone. God has set you in a family. He has adopted you as your own, as his own, and you belong to him. That is really encouraging. You might not have grown up with a father, but you have a father in heaven. You might not feel like you have a family that loves you, but God has adopted you into his family and he loves you. I love Psalm 68 verse uh, Psalm 68 verse 5 to 6a. It says a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. You see, that is God's heart. God desires that each one of us are set in a family. Each one of us have a family. And the church of God is meant to function as a family. The church, unfortunately, is broken. It is not perfect, but God's desire, God's design is that the church operates as a family, that there is a culture of love and acceptance in the church, that everybody, even if they don't have a natural family, will find a family, a place of belonging in the church. That is God's desire. That is God's design. I love going to, you know, these um like at the end of the year, these Christmas carol concerts. And especially, you know, when people have really young kids and they haven't done a lot of these carol concerts. And I love going and, and yes, I watch the kids, but I love looking at the, the faces of the parents. And as I've looked at the faces of parents, you can just see that each set of parents or each parent who happens to be present only as eyes for their little Johnny, only as eyes for their little um, Simpiwe or their little Susie, their, their child, they only have eyes for their child so they can be a whole choir, a whole 125, I don't know, 200 kids on stage. But they will pick out and know exactly where their child is and their eyes will be on their child. And if their child is going to do the audition, that's when the camera comes out because they're just watching their child. And it's God's desire that everybody has that. That's why he created this unit, um, which is family. And I just think it was such a brilliant, beautiful idea, the whole concept of family. I mean, God could have had created people any way he wanted, but he designed it so that every person in the perfect world would come forth in a family. That is his heart, that everybody is celebrated, that everybody is loved, that everybody has those people who only are looking at them, are looking for them, proud of them. Even if they mess up, even if they make a mistake, proud of that one. That is God's heart. God has a heart for families and for everybody to experience family. Psalm 27 verse 10 says, When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. God is faithful. God loves 
his people. God loves you. God loves his children. I just want to encourage you. Maybe you were rejected. Maybe you were abandoned. Maybe you were disowned. Maybe you never knew your natural father or natural mother or your parents, or maybe you were given up for adoption. Um, Maybe you never knew your real family, or maybe you never really felt a part of your real family. Maybe you never felt celebrated. Maybe you never felt Like you always felt second best or not good enough. But I have good news for you that you are adopted by God our Father. And He is a perfect Father and you belong to Him. And I can guarantee you that the hurt that you feel from your natural family, maybe you felt never not good enough or not celebrated, Your parents or the people who are taking care of you, I can guarantee you, most of the time they didn't do that to you intentionally. They were just trying to survive and and get through and they were doing stuff for themselves. And it came out in the process of all of that that you felt like that. And so I want to encourage you to release your family or release those in your family that have hurt you and turn to God and know that you are celebrated by Him and you are adopted by Him. Which brings me to my next point, number three, that we are celebrated. Ephesians 1 verse 5, the same scripture, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, you and I, we weren't adopted into God's family because God is just this principled, you know, God. And he thought it would be a worthy project or he thought it would be a good idea. He thought it would be a good PR strategy or a good marketing ruse to adopt you as his son or his daughter. And you see, you weren't adopted just because God was willing to tolerate you. You weren't adopted just because God thought he had to or he should or it was the responsible thing to do. It was God's absolute delight to adopt you. According to the good pleasure of his will, he adopted you. You see, he delights in you. He loves you. He celebrates you. You are his child. His delight is in you. I love Zephaniah 3 verse 17. In the NLT it says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. He rejoices over you with singing, some translations say. The Amplified, let me read it in the Amplified. It says, The Lord your God is in the midst of you. A mighty one, a savior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. And in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exult over you with singing. Well, there you go. Maybe you felt like God couldn't possibly love you because of your past sins. But there you go. He doesn't. He makes no mention of past sins or even recalls them. He exalts over you with singing. You see, the thing is, and we're going to look at this just, we're going to look at this in a bit. But when God forgives, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't, he chooses to forget it. He chooses to not recall it. So we are the ones who recall it and he's moved on and he rejoices over us with singing and we beat ourselves up over certain things and we think God is doing the same thing but God is not like us okay he exults over us with singing he celebrates us his children so this doesn't sound to me like a stoic father with a big stick ready to whack us whenever we step out of line this this has a ring of the prodigal son's father this celebrating 
um, uh, celebrating us and celebrating his children. And we read the story in Luke 15 verse 11 to 32 about the prodigal son. And many of us know this parable. And basically to give you the highlights, a man has two sons. A man had two sons. The, and the youngest requested everything, all his inheritance up front before his father had died. And he left home and he used all of it up on an ungodly lifestyle far from home. And a famine came to that land and he found himself in extreme poverty and starving. And he eventually ended up with animals feeding pigs and swine and thinking, sure, I just wish I could eat this you know, animal food, I'm so hungry. And he thought to himself about how even his father's servants ate well, and yet here he was starving to death. And then he says this to himself in Luke 15, verse 18 to 19, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, and as I read that, I don't even know if his repentance was genuine or he was just starving and desperate and wanted food and was willing to do whatever he could do to have food. He says, I'll go to my father and say this to him. Father, I've sinned against you. Now, whether he felt remorse, I don't know. But he did. He went and he did that and he went uh, back to, to his father. And, and we know in those days that it was considered undignified for men, high-ranking men, to gather up their robes and run. It was considered very undignified. It was beneath them. And yet this was the response of his father when he sees his son coming from afar. In verse 20, we see it says, and, he, his father, and, and the son arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Very undignified for a man of his stature, but then, but that was what he did. His father delighted in him regardless of what he'd done and ran out in a most undignified manner for the times and threw a whole party to celebrate the return of his son. And this is an awesome picture of our father's delight in us. I think many of us have a picture of God the father that is really similar to the older brother of the prodigal, prodigal son who was quite angry that um, his father had thrown a party for this younger brother of his who'd come back, uh, you know, after having thrown away all of his inheritance. But, God, but the father delighted in the son. And this is a picture of God, our father, delighting in us even when we trip up and fall, even when we fail. So number three, we are celebrated. And this is a truth. Our Father celebrates us. Number four, we are accepted. Ephesians 1 verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Accepted in the Beloved. Our Father, we are accepted by Him in the Beloved. And that word accepted speaks of special honor. It speaks of being highly favored. So we are highly favored. There is a special honor us, honor upon us because we are accepted in the beloved. And I want to speak to you today. Maybe you've experienced deep rejection growing up in your family or with your parents at school, in a relationship, in a marriage, or maybe it was your skin color. Maybe it was your hair texture. Maybe it was your body shape, your lack of sportiness, or maybe it was your nerdiness or your academics or your lack of academics. Or maybe it was, maybe, maybe it was simply leaders or people you admired who sinned against you knowingly or unknowingly. And I want to tell you today that God is not like any man. 
Our Father is not like any man or any person on earth. And in Christ, you and I are accepted in the beloved just as we are. We are accepted. We are blessed. We are highly favored by God just like we are because he made us like we are. Amen. Number five, I want to say that we are forgiven and redeemed. Ephesians 1 verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This is a spiritual blessing. This is a spiritual blessing. What is redemption? Redemption means to redeem basically means to release on receipt of ransom. It means to liberate by payment of ransom, to cause to be released to oneself by a payment of a ransom or payment of a debt. And that is what Christ did for us. And we see this in 1 Peter 1 verse 17 to 19. It says, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So through the blood of Jesus, he paid the price for our redemption. And we belong to God now. He bought us for this price. We belong to God. We belong to our Father. Our identity now comes from our Father in heaven. In Hebrews 9 verse 11 to 12, it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What is this talking about? You see, in the Old Testament, they would use the blood of goats and calves and make sacrifice, and the blood of these animals would cover over the sin of the people for that year. It would cover over. But Jesus' blood, perfect, unblemished Lamb of God, His blood purchased once and for all, our eternal redemption. That is what it is talking about. That is why we don't, why we don't have to um, do animal um, bloodshed in the New Testament because Jesus died once and, and for all and paid the price once and for all. And He removed our sins from us. I'm going to look at that now with forgiveness, understanding forgiveness. He removed our sins. Then It's not just covered over with blood. It's actually removed. Um, Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So the blood of these animals could not remove sins. It is only the blood of Jesus, which leads me to my next point, explaining forgiveness. Remember what we're talking about, the, the verse from Ephesians, um, Ephesians 1 verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So what is forgiveness? What do we mean? I'm wanting to, to make sure we understand forgiveness. 1 John 1 verse 8 to 9, it says, For if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as when we are forgiven, 
We are cleansed of unrighteousness. He removes us, the sin from us. And so if we've come before God and we've confessed our sins and we've asked God for forgiveness and we haven't had felt that cleansing, then I want to ask you, have you forgiven yourself? Because sometimes we ask God for forgiveness, yet we don't forgive ourselves. We need to forgive ourselves. But we also need to remember that he said he'll forgive us if we forgive others. Remember that Jesus taught that in Matthew 6 when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, that we need to forgive so that we can be forgiven. So when we don't have that cleansing of our, we, we don't feel that cleansing from all unrighteousness, we need to ask ourselves, have we forgiven? And ha others, have we forgiven ourselves? And then we need to say, have I received the forgiveness from my father? Because he's faithful to forgive, you know? We need to receive the forgiveness. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the, the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So it's important that we receive this forgiveness for ourselves. We can't keep carrying around sins that we perpetrated. We've asked God for forgiveness, but we're not letting it go. We continue to carry that weight. No, we also need to let it go. And if other people have perpetrated sins against us, we too need to let it go. We need to forgive. Amen. We are forgiven. Number six, we've been made alive. We've been made alive. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is spiritual life. He's given spiritual life to us. So powerful. God is life and he gives us. Life, And I'm going to read the scripture from Romans 6, verse 7 to 14. It says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign over your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And this is so important. If God is our Father, if we find ourselves in Christ, which we do, if God is our Father and we've, we, we are born again, and we're walking with Jesus as our Savior, we are in Christ, we are alive, then we really need to live like it. We really need to live. If God is our Father and we receive all these truth and we want, truths and we're wanting to walk in, in all of these spiritual blessings, I want to ask you a question. How then shall we live? How then shall you live? And I love the scripture from Romans. It says, uh, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. My members, what are my members? My feet, my legs, my whole body, my hands, my eyes, my mouth, my ears, my heart. Every part of me, I must present it to God as an instrument of righteousness. I can't let my feet take me where I shouldn't go. I can't let my hands do what they should not do. 
I can't let my eyes fall upon those things which they shouldn't fall upon. You know, my ears, what am I letting them go? What am I letting go into my ears? My mouth, what am I letting come out of my mouth? Everyday life, I have to live. I have to live an everyday life, presenting my mouth, presenting my whole being as an instrument of righteousness before Him, as an instrument of worship to God. Amen. That is how we live. That is how we walk once we know whose we are, once we know to whom we belong. We belong to our Father, and that's how we need to live. Amen. Number seven, we are His workmanship. Ephesians 2 verse 10, if God is my Father and He is my Father, I am His workmanship. I am His poema. I am His poetry in motion. I am His creation, and He created me with a purpose. He created me with things to do, works that He prepared beforehand. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, for we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. Some translations say that I am His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. And so, if I am His workmanship, He made me the way He wanted me to be. He wired me. My Father wired me the way that He wired me for a purpose, His purpose. And He delights in me. And I belong to Him. And I want to walk in the things, in the works that He created me for. I want to walk and do the things that He designed me for. And, and that's where I'll find true fulfillment. And that's where I'll find true joy and grace. Amen. Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You were skillfully made by God. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet they were none of them. See, for some of you today, I've, I've come to tell you that you belong to God, and you might not know your purpose, but you bet your bottom dollar He knows why He made you. You might feel purposeless. You might feel like you don't know what you're doing, but trust in God. Trust in your Father because He skillfully made you and wired you for a purpose. He put those desires in your heart for a purpose, and He's your Father, and He delights in you, and He made you the way that He made you for a reason. And as you trust Him, He will lead you, and He will guide you. And you know what? He delights lights in you along the journey, along the way, as you're discovering and as you're going. He's not only going to delight in you when you reach your goal, when you reach the end of this, you know, place that you think that's where I'll arrive. No, He delights in you today. He's watching over you today. He accepts you today. He loves you today. He made you for a reason. You know, when something is used for what it is, what it was created for, that is when the greatest, uh, sorry, when something is used for what it was not created for, that is when the greatest destruction and sin occurs. Think about it. 
a car is used to carry people. When a car is used to kill, it's a sin. It's destructive. When I, you, when marriage and a, 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 a woman and a man coming together in holy matrimony, one of the primary purposes of Christian marriages is to bring forth godly offspring. Now, when you have that union being misused, however you want to define that, whether it's same-sex marriage, whether it's abusive marriage, when you have that thing being abused, then that's when the greatest destruction and sin occurs. The children also will be, will be marred and um, a lot of destruction, a lot of hurt. And so I just want to encourage you today that the safest and most fulfilling place to be is in the perfect will of God. You want to find that and you want to stay in that. And that place is found by peace. It's found by the desires that God has put in your heart. It's found by listening to counsel around you. There are a number of different ways of finding that. And you can speak to, look, uh, speak to my husband about his purpose finder stuff um, and, and so forth. But I want to encourage you to seek after being in that place, the thing that God created you for, because that is the safest place. That is the place where you'll be most fulfilled. That is where there'll be the most grace. He created you. He lovingly created you for that reason. So, so find it and, and be there. And that's where you'll be the most blessing to the body of Christ and to this world, actually. Number eight, the eighth truth, the eighth, the eighth truth that I'm wanting to look at today because God is our Father. And the truth from Ephesians is from Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, whom you also in, you, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Such a powerful revelation. And for the Gentiles, this was incredible that they could be of the same people, of the same household as the Jews. Um, and, and that understanding that God was wanting there to be a unified church. Incredible revelation. In the Old Testament, the only division in the temple was between the priests and the laity. But by Paul's day, architects had add, added barriers for non-Jews and for women. And Paul says these barriers are abolished in God's true spiritual temple. So that was radical for that day. Some other Jewish writers spoke of God's people as his temple, but only Paul and other early Christians recognized that this new temple included non-Jews. So this message in Ephesians of our father to the Gentiles and the non-Jews was radical. Okay, um, And actually around the time Paul was writing these words, arguing for racial unity in Christ, arguing for there to be unity amongst people in Christ, Jews and Syrians were actually massacring each other on the streets of Caesarea, um, a city where he had just been not long before in Acts 23. So um, Paul in the book of Ephesians, and here he's not simply mimicking a common stand against racism in his culture. He's actually condemning racism and segregation of a religious institution, even though he has to challenge his culture to do so. And so this whole uh, idea of being, we are all members of the household of God. We are 
um, fellow citizens. It's quite a radical idea uh, in those times and also for us today. Um, I'm wanting to read Ephesians 3 verse 6 to 10. This, mis this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, this was, this was radical at that time. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, uh, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That manifold wisdom of God, that is the polypoikolos, uh, wisdom of God, the multi-varied, multi-colored wisdom of God. You see, the church is meant to display unity and diversity and reconciliation. There's supposed to be unity and diversity in the church. There's supposed to be reconciliation modeled in the church. That's what Paul was speaking about. No divisions in the church. No divisions between the, this people and that people. No divisions set up naturally or spiritually to say only these people belong to God or only these people or we are superior to or no there's not supposed to be any of that in the church we are actually supposed to model unity and diversity um, and when we do that it, I, I love the scripture he, he says um, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places so to the spiritual realm, even, he wants it to be made known. So powerful, okay? Number nine, the ninth truth is from Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 19. We belong. We belong. I've touched on this before. If God is our Father and we are born again, we belong. We belong. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole family in heaven and earth is named. He is our Father. It was for this reason that Jesus died and rose again. It was for this reason. This is the news that he was desperate to share with Mary. Okay, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you would be rooted and grounded in love and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of God, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And so God, Christ's Father, Jesus' Father is our Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He is our Father and then straight after that, the apostle then goes to pray about love and knowing the length and depth and breadth and height of the love of God. Why? That we can be filled with the fullness of God. Whatever has happened in our lives, we have a spiritual family. We have a family that we belong to and no one can rob us of that. We belong. And the culture of this family is meant to be love. That length and depth and breadth and height of the love of God. That love is supposed to be the culture of our spiritual family on earth. And I want to challenge us as Christians, as believers today. 
How are you living? How am I living? Am I contributing and building towards this culture in my church, in your church? Are you doing that? Because God desires that the culture in his family is one of love. Are you actively engaged in this family that you belong to? Or do you go and just warm the pew on Sunday and leave and that's enough for you? Because that is not enough for God. That is not enough for God. God desires that we are more than just consumers. God desires that we are more than just silent observers in his church. God desires that we are part of this. We form the temple which the Holy Spirit dwells in, which is mind-blowing. The Holy Spirit indwelling this incredible temple. Each of us is a living brick, a living stone making that up. Powerful revelation. And we each have a part to play in terms of creating a culture of love, loving on each other. I just want to challenge you. Your pastor or your cell group leader, your home group leader, your leader is not, cannot in and of himself do everything to create this culture of love. It comes from people. That is why Paul speaks about the fivefold ministry given to equip the saints that they can do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is never supposed to be for a pastor or a pastoral couple only. No, they're there to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. And when the everybody within the church is doing what they should be doing, is fulfilling the function that they are there for, is loving with the gift that God gave them, to love with, then the body begins to get strong, it gets nourished, it's, it grows together and becomes a mature um, body, which is the body, a represent, representation of Christ on earth. And so are you a consumer and a silent observer or are you sharing this love with others? Are you sitting on your gift? Are you sitting on your hands? Are you sitting on the thing that God has given you to be a blessing to those around you? I want to challenge us with that today. Yes, he's our father and yes, we belong. But we belong and we have a purpose in that belonging more than just sitting, more than just sitting on a Sunday in a lounge and consuming from, you know, a screen. It's actually getting involved. It's actually contributing. It's actually being a part of this culture of love and helping other people to feel like they belong, which they do. Amen. So we belong. We belong to a family, each one of us. And each one of us have something to give to this place that we belong, this family um, that we belong to. And finally, I'm wanting to encourage us, number 10, back to the beginning. We have a father, our father. He is our father. He is the one who gives us our identity and we belong to him. Ephesians 4 verse 4 to 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. One God and Father of all. Father of all. Father of all. 1 John 3 verse 1 a Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. So no matter our skin color, no matter our tribe, no matter our family, our family history, no matter our educational status, our bank account, our work situation and so forth, no matter where we come from or where we feel like we are not going, 
We have a father. We belong to him. He is our source. He is our nourisher. He is our sustainer. He gives us our identity. He has a plan for us. He cares for us. He sees us. He watches over us. He shepherds us. He understands us. He delights in us. He loves us. He is leading us and he will fulfill his purpose in our lives if we trust him to do so. He is working all things out in conformity with his will and for his purpose. We can trust him. Amen. So in conclusion, on this Father's Day, I'm wanting to encourage each one of us that we have a father, that he is our father, and that he is our father because Jesus died and rose again on the cross. And we, if we've prayed that sinner's prayer and we've accepted the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we've received forgiveness, God is our Father. We have a family. We are blessed. We are adopted. We are celebrated. We are accepted. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We have been made alive from spiritually being dead. We have been made alive and we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared already that we should walk in them. And we are members of his household. We belong somewhere. We have a father, our father. Amen. Let's pray. Our father in heaven, we thank you that you are a good God and you love us. And Lord, even as we've heard this word, we pray that you would move in our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to create that culture of love and acceptance in the body of Christ. You would help us to take responsibility and play our role. And Lord, we pray today for those who've been wounded and hurt, who have deep wounds of rejection and abandonment, Lord God, who felt like they will always be on the outside looking in, who felt like they'll always be second best or unacceptable, Father. Those who are walking in condemnation, and we pray that you would bring healing to hearts, you would bring freedom and deliverance. And Father, we declare and decree a new day of your people, a new day of belonging, a new day of identity, Lord God, a new day of hope, a new day of um, being restored in our hearts, and a new day of unity within your body, Father, in our churches. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Enjoy your Father's Day.